Um, well, today we are taking a huge transition. We've been studying the Westminster Confession of Faith for a few months, and we are going about as 180 out from that as you can possibly think, uh, in lots of respects. We use the Westminster as our kind of our standard of teaching at, at our church. It's not to define Christian fellowship. It's much uh, more narrow than that. Um, today we're going into an issue that isn't covered in the Westminster, not, not in any detail, that's for sure. And because of that, it's not something we take a, a stance on as a church. And what you'll find is, um, you know, biblically faithful people are going to be all over the place uh, on this topic. We're going to get to a chart in your handout uh, in a second, but, you know, the, the Westminster would be very narrow, somewhere, somewhere very narrow with lots of fellowship around it. Here, we, we don't take a stance as a church, and you're going to find people who would agree with this or, or much of it all over the map in here. They're going to take positions that are that are diametrically opposed to each other on this subject. Uh, and so, you know, as I've studied this, this has been a new issue for me. I've just been studying for a few months now. Uh, I haven't read a book in about five years, and now I've read about five of them. So I'm overprepared. I don't know where to jump into this. And uh, it, it's one of those topics that just starts leading one issue to another to another. And so I'm going to do my best to frame an argument. We can't get to everything. Uh, I want to kind of, today's really just going to be an intro. We're not going to get to much else. Um, just a framework of a way to think about this and to hopefully challenge you to think, to disarm yourself a little bit, to let go of some preconceived notions for a little bit. And we'll have a lot of discussion in this class. Not today, but throughout the week. We, I think we have 11 weeks until I go to Wales. And so that's what we're going to use. And we're, we will not cover it all. We will run out of time. And, uh, but it's going to be an interesting time because not only is it an issue that is popping up in the media, um, you know, social justice warriors and campus riots, it's, it's all in the politics. It's something that's very much coming into uh, the church discussion. It's probably about time. Uh, you know, more church statements are, are including these things. Um, and it's something that some of our reformed brothers and sisters out there are actually really starting to fight about. Even though it's not an issue that has been central in the sense of the doctrines we believe, man, people who are over here and over here who agree on most things are very passionate. And the rhetoric that's going back and forth right now is, it's a little alarming. It's somewhat embarrassing at times. Uh, so I don't know if you're, you've been privy to that, if it's something that you, you get to in your own podcast and such, but if you haven't, you probably will. And so there's a whole social aspect to this, and then there's a church aspect to it. We're just going to try to get our arms around just a little bit. So Guy, could you please open us up in prayer? Father, we thank you for this day and for bringing us uh, together to study your word. We know, uh, we thank you for doing that, and we know that from your word uh, that you extend uh, love for us, how your gospel calls us. To uh, seek out justice, and so we pray over the over the uh, coming uh, day, weeks ahead, that you would uh, open our minds to the truth that the Holy Spirit would have us uh, put our arms around, uh, so that we might honor you and we might glorify you and we might love our neighbor as ourselves. We pray this in Amen. Uh, don't be confused on the handout. There's only two pages, but some of them printed out on both sides, so you'll figure it out. 
if you if you have a single piece of paper or a stapled one, you got everything you need. All right, we'll kind of talk about our outline in a little bit, but first I just want to ask, what is social justice? Now, we always need to define our terms, and people use terms in lots of ways. But typically, when you hear it out, at least in the culture, it's it's usually it's issues that have to do with oppression and victimhood, um, ways in which the systems of the world aren't aren't working for everybody. That there are winners and losers, and it, it, it's a it's a desire to correct those. It's a desire to mitigate the the imbalance. Usually, it's uh, along the lines of politically left issues is how we usually hear about it. And so, first we talk about race issues. What color do I want to use now? So, race is a big one. Uh, we've got affirmative action, housing discrimination. Maybe disparities in sentencing and police brutality. We've got economic stuff going on. It's not a very good one. We got uh, people fighting for minimum wage, housing availability, upward mobility, uh, immigration. You got gender issues. You got pay gaps, um, obstacles to certain positions, um, pay time off for having a baby. LGBTQ, we spent some time on. Not a G, it's a Q. So these are usually kind of framed as politically left types of issues. And so one of the things I want to start with is don't let that aspect keep you from the issue of social justice. Don't start hearing Christian Marxism and, you know, we're going to tear down society and we're going to cram through feminism and don't throw these things into one big bucket. But a lot of this does tend to come from the left. But there's other issues that we should talk about that would be more uh, politically neutral. Things like, you know, fighting against sex trafficking, uh, fighting for the rights of the disabled, or even things that are more typically on the right, religious freedom issues, abortion. So there's all sorts of issues, and I'm sure I haven't exhausted the list. But that's typically when you hear the word social justice in the culture. Those are the kind of things we're talking about. So why are we talking about this now? Well, even our own statement, Spring Meadows statement, uh, vision says this. Spring Meadows Presbyterian Church exists to bring the resources of the historic Christian faith to bear on the city so that Christ may be known, loved, served, and worshipped, resulting in a spiritual, social, economic, and cultural difference in the quality of life in Las Vegas. That has always been our vision. I remember we first came here in 2004, I'd never seen a statement like that. I never, it's not an issue I've really thought about. Even since then, I haven't thought a lot about it. But it has been very much in the discussion as we moved here in 2007, and now as we have a property, it's been very much a concern of ours, and you'll see on the outline at, at the top, I want to talk about these things, get our arms around them, but I don't want them to stay theoretical and just some debate issue that you can, you can win with your friends or your family. In the end, I want to know what we at Spring Meadows might do in this realm. How will moving to our new property, which is going to happen during this class, which is just providential. You know, getting a new church building has never really been about the center aisle. It's never really been about the music team saving some time. We have believed that it, we can minister better to do our vision in a property of our own. So I want to talk about that. It'll, and it'll be just the start of a discussion of what that move might mean for us in this realm and in others. The issue of social justice has been 
creeping up higher and higher priority for folks. Tim Keller says there's a direct relationship between a person's grasp and experience of God's grace and his or her heart for justice and the poor. So a direct relationship between understanding grace and what that would mean in our actions for others. But the event gets even uh, more divisive, more controversial. Anthony Bradley, the chair of the Religious and Theological Studies at King's College, said this. Here's a problem, and this will be hard to hear. From a black church perspective, evangelicals have never had the gospel, ever. Here then is the question. When will evangelicals embrace the gospel for the first time ever? Well, that's a little different, right? That kind of rhetoric's a little different than this is something that's important. It's something we need to love our neighbor with. This is getting to the point of, you, you, if you don't have the gospel, I don't have a chance to fellowship with you. And kind of what I have here is, I want us to live in here. I want us to, to, to try to leave a lot of room for lots of things, uh, opinions on the details, on the specific policies, specific emphases. And yet I want to try to set some kind of uh, bumpers and boundaries to where we need to be careful of going too far to the extreme one way or the other. And this is the kind of thing that has really stirring up the debate. Are we really saying if social justice isn't something we focus on, we've never had the gospel itself? We're going to get into more of that next week. Uh, maybe more recent events that have happened. I, I don't know where you would track it back to. 2013, possibly, with Trayvon Martin's uh, killing. Um, that kind of started the Black Lives Matter movement. Uh, 2014, the Michael Brown, hands up, don't shoot kind of movement. That really kicked off a lot. Um, you know, people in the NFL and other sports started taking a knee. And so it's been this big cultural political discussion. And it's, it's, no matter where you stand on that issue, in the immediate afterthought, before we could really know anything about the details of what actually happened, the white church, those with predominantly white and black, and I, I know it's just limited to two races, but the white church and the black church had a completely different reactions to those stories the day of. And that we need to ask questions about why is that so? Why would brothers and sisters who have the same Bible, very, very often the, the very narrow theological beliefs, have a completely different reaction to a new story like that? So those are the kind of things I want to ask and explore. And I definitely don't have the answers. It's something I want, I want to think about. I want us to be challenged to think about. And don't be too quick with the reaction, right? Let's run to the scriptures. Let's try to get to know God's heart on these matters. And by God's grace, by the, being empowered by the Holy Spirit, do our best to live out that gospel. In all these topical issues, this has kind of been the approach we've taken, right? We want to be biblically faithful, pastorally sensitive, and culturally conversant. So biblically faithful. Tim said in a recent sermon, we do want to do social justice, but we want to do it from a biblical standpoint, not, not the way the culture defines it. How does the Bible define these issues? What are the texts that we can turn to? We'll start to do that next week. Is this a biblical phrase? Is it a biblical concept? What priorities should this issue have in all the things we teach and do in the activity as a church? We want to be pastorally sensitive. We know we're going to have all sorts of views. So how do we minister from, to somebody who's on the opposite side of this issue? Are we going to let this issue be an obstacle to evangelism, to discipleship? And that, can we be sure maybe somebody shares us? Maybe we're both over here, and because they've declared their, their, their view on this, we just leave their heart alone. 
We don't probe their heart and their motives. You can hide behind some good teaching, right? Or some pretty poor motives. And on the opposite side, you might have somebody totally different from you on this issue with some great motives. Right? We need to, we need to drill down. Why do you hold this position? And we, we ought to honor those good motives and challenge the bad motives and be open to be challenged ourselves. We want to be culturally conversant. In some later weeks, we'll get into some of the vocabulary that you might not have heard of, intersectionality, what it means to be woke, critical race theory, those kind of things. Because we want to understand these terms. Also, maybe you're, we always want to take a cultural issue and be able to be gospel-centered. How do you, how do you converse with a, a coworker who's an unbeliever on these issues, very valid issues, but how do you deal with that issue genuinely and yet still get to the gospel? Right? How do you help them to, to shape, you know, where they get their identities, where they get their morality? Why they have such passionate views one way or the other and get them to see the truth of the gospel, right? It doesn't really matter where you, if you die without Christ, and it doesn't really matter where you stand on these issues, right? You're still lost. And so some of the goals I have for the class, are number one at an individual level, I want us to, to be rekindled in our love for our neighbor. What, just like Guy prayed, what about this issue, um, might it mean for me in my daily life to truly love my neighbor, actively love my neighbor? And that might be uh, included some repenting of some attitudes and some beliefs, some indifference in, my, in the heart for my neighbor. Plus, I want to be able to apply this to our cultural discussion, like I said. How do you watch the news? How do you listen to conversations and, and come with your biblical Christian worldview? How do you, how do you approach these issues? Number three is one of the big ones. I, I think it's it's relatively simple to say God cares for the poor. He cares for the oppressed. He cares for the sojourner. That that's kind of it. Okay, and I need to I need to care for that. I need I need to think about that and think what I can do as an individual. I find it a much harder question to answer. What is the church's responsibility in this? The local church, Spring Meadows, or the PCA, or or whatever level you want to look at. What kind of an emphasis should it be? How, how much should this be talked about from the pulpit? Should we have a committee doing things? When we go to our new property, are, are we going to do something about along the lines of social justice? Is this something seminary should be preparing pastors for? That gets a lot harder to answer, I think. Uh, some of the non-goals of the class. I am not going to take a stance politically, I hope. I'm sure it'll come through a little bit. I don't mean for it to. Because I don't want to promote a political party. I don't want to promote specific policies. Now, I know there's no way to avoid politics in this discussion. So I'm planning a class near the end that I can defer all political questions to. <laughs> so, But if you want to come up with your own political um, opinion, that's fine. But I'm going to challenge you to defend it biblically. I don't, I don't care if it's in the Constitution. I don't care if it's capitalist. I don't care. I want you to defend it biblically, right? I mean, I, 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 not totally unique. I have an American family and I have a Welsh family, right, in my life now. Politically, completely different. What I tend to find in conservative churches, at least in our experience, is, is tends to be more conservative politically. Not in my Welsh family. Very much the opposite. 
They wouldn't know. It's Mars and Venus talking to each other. These are the people with this very much the same beliefs. I mean, up and down. Very much faithful Christians. Completely different worldview on politics. We very much live in our 21st century American mindset, which is impossible to escape. All right, when we talked about transgenders, you might remember that I kind of rewrote James 2 from a transgender standpoint. I've tried to do the same here with Romans 14 from a social justice. Now, this is going to violate all sorts of exegesis interpretation. It's just to get you thinking. I'm sure it's not 100% accurate. But it's kind of the way I'm taking this class. As for your brother or sister that has different social justice views than you, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes in being socially active in the community, while another focuses on preaching the gospel. Let not the one who is active despise the one who abstains. Let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who is active, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. And he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one social cause is better than another, while another esteems all causes alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who teaches about racial reconciliation does it in honor of the Lord. The one who lobbies for income equality does it in honor of the Lord, since he thinks it important to display the glory of God. While the one who abstains from political issues abstains in honor of the Lord in order to protect the glory of God. Why do you pass judgment on your brother, or why do you despise your brother? We will all stand before the judgment seat of God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of socialism or capitalism, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not for the sake of your political persuasion destroy the work of God. Every social cause is indeed worthy. But is it wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he promotes? The politics that you have keep between yourself and God. Let each of us please his neighbor for, let each of us please his neighbor and his city for their good to build them up. For Christ did not please himself. Now I'm sure you can take a lot of issue with some details there, and that's fine. I just want to emphasize, I, I want to, I want to warn about the extremes and where I've drawn the line, maybe some of the phrases there. Over, over a discussion, you dispute on which side of the line it is. And I want to leave a lot of room in the middle on these issues. And, and, but you, you may be more narrow than me. You may say, nope, this is more of an issue of fellowship. This is more important to emphasize. And that's fine. And that's what, why we're going to have a lot of discussion. It's always interesting in that passage to me that Paul's talking about, hey, don't, don't despise the weak and the strong brother, right? Different opinions, it's fine. And then he says, be convinced in your own mind. So these are issues we ought to really think about. We have to really ponder and pray over. And be willing to, to spend that kind of a, that time in the word and with each other. It's not a discussion we should avoid. It's just, at, at some point, it's not a discussion we should divide over. And there's, at some point, it is an issue we should divide over. And those are the kind of things we need to explore. All right, so let's get into the chart itself. I wasn't sure when to... So basically, there really is a, there really is a, a continuum here. You know, I always try to get issues and kind of get them into a couple categories and it's never accurate. It's never binary. It's never linear, really. There's going to be people, there's all sorts of nuances and people are all over the place. But 
to kind of help us, I'm just going to put it into these categories. I stole these terms from someone else. I don't remember who. I've done way too much reading, and I didn't take good notes. Basically, you talk about those who are transformationists, I'll use the word, and conversionists. And so basically, these guys are going to care more about social justice, be more vocal about it, see it as more of a priority, and these guys are going to be a bit less, less about social justice. I almost labeled the chart that way, but I didn't want to label it that way because it's not that these guys don't care about social justice. From a church standpoint, when you get to the local church, they're skeptical of how much priority the local church should give. It it's really says nothing about what they would do in their individual lives. But from a church standpoint, they're concerned. They're concerned about the time and the focus here would take away from the more traditional types of things, teaching the gospel, discipling, evangelism. They see those categories and those, those focuses to be important and not to be eroded. While this side, we'll look at that side and say, but you've missed it. Okay, you preach the gospel well, but you don't display it. We're not having, we're not having the result, the fruit of your faith shown very well. Tim Keller talks about the one side seems to emphasize justice, and one side emphasizes justification. Where really, as an evangelical, we, we, those are always in tension. They are different categories. But the fact that we believe, the fact that we're justified, that God has changed our hearts, ought to show itself, right? We, faith shows itself in works. And so one of those works, one way we love our neighbor, is that we should be working for justice. Whatever we might see that to be the right way, but it ought to show itself. And so we ought to hold those two together. So I've labeled these out-of-bounds areas as works without faith. And one of the big historical things that has happened is called the social gospel. When people hear words, people on this side hear social justice, they think social gospel sometimes. And you've got those have to be distinguished, and it is a concern. And this side, thinking of James 2, faith without works. Someone says he has faith that has no works, how can that faith save him? Your brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking daily food, and one of you says to him, go in peace, be warm and filled, without getting the things needed for the body. What good is that? Right? And so we do have extremes. We have extremes in the scriptures. Now, historically, what has happened, I don't know, I'm not a historian, don't want to be, about 100 years ago, uh, modernism was creeping in. This, you know, science can explain everything, the superstitions and faith and miracles, and it led to something called the social gospel that really took root in liberal churches, and that was, we don't really care about the faith and the doctrines. That's not so important. It's, it's what we do for the poor, right? It's what we do in society. We're the hands and feet of Christ, and so we're, we're being Christ in the world, and what we do is what's important, not what we believe. And they went so far as it really didn't, didn't matter, right? And so a reaction to that was, I don't know if I want to put it all the way out of the bounds, but somewhere, depending on how you define it, was fundamentalism. Fundamentalism was a reaction to the social gospel. Like, whoa, you guys have left the gospel. And so they retreated to the gospel. It, but a lot of people would critique them, say, but you've, but you know, you left the baby with the bathwater kind of thing. You've, you still need to care for the poor. You still need to care for the downtrodden. Don't just run to your holy huddle Christian subculture. Um, and so evangelicalism, in a way, was was a try to retreat back um, 
you know, retreat back to the middle from fundamentalism. And so, but now we're still kind of in this middle ground where we have a lot of disagreements. Okay. Um, I know I'm going to run out of time, so I just want to hit some of these. So we we'll probably won't get to the, the biblical categories of justice today, but basically, obviously, we usually when we hear the word justice, we probably think right away of divine justice, right? You've broken God's law. You deserve wrath. Um, and he's just, but in Christ, he's just and the justifier of those who have faith in Christ, right? And so our salvation is ground on God being just by punishing Jesus for our sins. So that's very much as we discuss justice. Uh, but there's another whole side of justice, and the, the way the Bible uses the word justice and righteousness. And we're going to look at that one next week, more horizontal. And so this side would be concerned in those terms that divine justice is being, the focus on divine justice is being lost when we go to social justice. Yes. We'll talk about that next week. That's not true. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. God is absolutely just in that process. Yes, he is. We'll talk about that next week. You gotta hold it. We can't get through everything today. I know where you're going, and that's why the, that's, that's, that kind of questions exactly why we have the differences, uh, within the evangelicalism. Alright, I'm off my chain of thought. Alright, we'll get back to that. Alright, so here's some of the challenges. Here, here's why I think we have a wide scope in there. Number one, we have different theological differences. Um, how do we view the Old Testament? A lot of these passages that we would talk about with social justice, come from the Old Testament. Well, we have different views in evangelicalism, how we view those. Some would be, well, doesn't matter, that's Israel, right? I don't care. Um, some would say, hey, Mosaic Law, that's exactly what you should implement in America today, right? And, and you got everything in between. When Scott taught on the chapter 19 of the Westminster, we saw this about the law of God. To the people of Israel as a civil entity, he also gave various judicial laws, which expired at the time their state expired. Therefore, these judicial laws place no obligation upon anyone now, except as they embody general principles of justice, or the original language, further than the general equity thereof may require. And so the Westminster doesn't take what's called theonomy uh, approach, where you, we, we take the Mosaic law, we, we change it, but we implement that somehow in today's society. That would be the way some people would want to transform society, would be through, through laws, and that we would Christianize society and change hearts and Christianize, and, and this is a very optimistic look at, at how history is going to go, and that's where social justice will come in. Um, the Westminster takes a little more of a vague approach, in my mind. Okay, so we look at the Mosaic Law. We're not going to, we take the moral law and the Ten Commandments, but the sacrificial laws we know are done in Christ, but there's these, this whole civil realm of feeding the poor, of, you know, of putting a balcony on your house. These, these days that they were laws to, to Israel. But we would, we take the general equity, the general principles of justice. Okay, that sounds nice, but that, that sure leaves a lot of room for disagreement, right? What does that mean? What's a general principle of justice in a certain text? Here's an example, Leviticus 19, 
When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your fields right up to its edges. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor, for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. And so if you owned a field, by law, you were not to harvest the whole field. You were supposed to leave some along the edges for the poor, for the sojourner. That was, And that's clearly a love, love for those that God has a heart for, right? And I, I find it amazing. It was done in a way that wasn't some free handout, right? You get the, the right side would love this, right? The poor had to work for it. They had to come harvest that field. But they were given that opportunity. So here's the question. That's a, that's a law to Israel. Is that a law for me? Do, I, how do I implement that law? Exactly what does that mean? So people are going to be all over the map on this stuff. And we, we're going to take two or three weeks to really look at some of these passages, talk about how people would, would go one way or the other, and hopefully see some of the challenges in it. But don't get lost in the particulars and exactly agreeing on how you would implement that without really seeing the heart of God behind it. That's what I really want to get to. Yeah. yeah the reason why the Western is because uh, no, the church does not stand as a national ethnic uh, kingdom in, in the same way. It's different. We do not have the identical position of being under the Mosaic Cup. Right. Therefore, just to make a blind transference of civil law to the church, you've got to go through, uh, and some would argue if it's repeated in the New Testament, And I just want to show that we would have to cover so many theological differences and uh, perspectives on how we've lived, all sorts of issues that will affect the issue of social justice. I mean, so you can't just come to an agreement on social justice without hitting all those things. And so I don't think we're going to come to some awesome unity on a lot of these particulars because these other much broader issues. So, you know, will social justice finally be found through implementing laws? If you're dispensational, you'll say it's going to be in the millennial kingdom. Then we'll obviously implement all these laws again. Or if it's something more in the middle, what does that mean? Is the church a prophetic voice to the politicians? Are we to be politically active and in political coalitions? What does it mean? And those are the kind of things I want to discuss. How about a passage like this? So Jesus in Luke 4 opens the scroll of Isaiah and he reads, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And he rolled up the scroll, scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, to them Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So he reads about the poor, the captives, the blind, the oppressed. Now some will take this very literally, very physically. Some will say, no, these are spiritual. He's talking about spiritual blindness, uh, spiritual oppression. So we're going to get into some of these. What does it mean that it's been fulfilled in your hearing? That, that it's over? That it's fulfilled, that it's done? That now we carry on this, this literal work, but it's through Jesus? All sorts of views on how we view these kind of passages. This is a really interesting quote. We have somewhat of limited New Testament data. Okay, say we don't want to argue with the Old Testament passages. We can come to agreement on the New Testament, right? 
Well, this is interesting. Philip Yancey said, I find no guidance in the Quran on how Muslims should live as a minority in a society. Right? It's a, they're supposed to take over and dominate society and implement Sharia. And I find no guidance in the New Testament on how Christians should live as a majority. Um, one of the books I read was Carson's Christ and Culture Revisited. And he talks about what is our stance? So people have said we're Christ in culture. That's more over here. Christ is in culture by being in culture and, and working for culture. That's kind of Christ's hands and feet, right? So we're Christ against culture. We kind of retreat to our holy huddle. We, we're scared of the world. Um, and, and really in the New Testament, you can see somewhat of that, right? The world is there to oppress you, to, um, you know, the, the rich are the ones who drag you into the court and blaspheme the holy name by which you were called. And it's very much a defensive stance. It'd be, I mean, you can kind of understand that stance. In a, what if you're a Christian in Iran today? Does Iran get the chance to talk about right and left political issues and how they're going to influence culture? It's the furthest thing from their mind, right? They're trying to survive. They're trying to survive and evangelize their neighbor on an individual level. Um, but in our context, we have the ability to think about it. the and the one in the middle I would put is what he calls Christ above culture. But that leaves a lot, um, a lot of discussion of what that means. There's theologies out there like one kingdom theology and two kingdom theology, and it, it, again, it gets into this whole idea of how do I relate as a church to the world. Um, one reason I'm putting this side on the left is mainly because it's a political. They tend to be talked about in the politically left issues. Uh, and where politically right might be a little safer over here. Um, that might not be fair. Um, another way, I don't know how much of a coincidence it is, but Luther talked about when his view of two-kingdom theology, he had a left-hand kingdom and a right-hand kingdom. And that has kind of morphed through Calvin and others to basically mean the world and the church. And so it's not that important. It's just that the question remains, what is the role of the church in the world? How physically active should it be? Um, is it merely prophetic? Um, terminology is going to trip us up. That's going to be one of our challenges. We just use phrases differently. We always have to define terms. Always. Always have to define them. And don't jump to such big conclusions like, hear the word social justice and I assume it means this. I'm concerned about social justice and it means I'm a white nationalist, right? You just can't. Don't jump too quickly. Let's have a discussion. Let's talk about what we need. Maybe we can help each other refine language if we, we find that helpful. There will be people who like in the, in the church to use the word social justice. Let's not let the, this politically left steal that term, right? Let's, let's recapture it and use it. And others will say, no, it's already a ruined term. Let's use something else. You'll have those kind of discussions. That would be true of Calvinism or Reformed or Evangelicalism, right? Any word can be abused. And so we have to make our, our decisions as we deal with the culture and what's helpful. We also have our own 21st century American perspective, right? We, the race issues in our country are black and white. In other countries, it's a lot of other things, right? It's, it, we immediately run to our context, and there's not really a way to get around that. We're a little warped, I think, on how rich we all are. We talk about the rich and the poor. I mean, I, I sometimes wonder, if we are going to go for income equality, why stop at the national borders, right? If we're gonna, why not equality over the whole world? Where, what, where do you go with your social justice? What community are you talking about? Are you talking about your neighborhood? Are we gonna talk about a one mil, a one mile bubble around our new property? We're we gonna focus there. Are we gonna talk about the city of Las Vegas like our vision says? Are you gonna go to Nevada, go to the U.S., 
I mean, why, why stop there, right? Uh, and that's hard. That, that'll be a discussion. That's probably why there's some differences. It just, at some point, it seems such a big, huge thing that we don't do anything, that we don't even start with anything. We have the joy of political freedom. We have our economic opportunity. Just the way we're going to think of social justice is so different. If you go back and read, you know, Augustine and Calvin and uh, Spurgeon, there's a lot of what they did for the poor, for the downtrodden in their specific situation. And it doesn't come into the writings as much, but it, it was there in, in different forms all throughout. I think one of our challenges, it's certainly a challenge for me, is we have somewhat of a checkered history on this as conservative Christians, Bible-believing Christians. I, again, I don't know all the details. I'm sure there's a counter-argument to some of this, but it certainly seems to me there's some pretty good evidence that we dropped the ball a couple times. Right? The reason there's a controversy about Martin Luther King being used as the Christian icon of the of racial issues is because his theology was somewhat sketchy. One of the issues I the way this the statement that came out last year, which is very much on this side of things, um, the statement on social justice we'll talk about in a few weeks, that came as a response to an MLK fifty conference that happened last January, January of eighteen, which came as a response to Trayvon Martin and all those types of things. Um and that's when I first really heard about this, and we've been talking about this since about September when this came out. Um, I, th- I think we've got to be honest that if he was a liberal, you know, the, the conservative church had some big blind spot on the issue of race and slavery and segregation. And so the liberal church took it, and they ran with it. And we've got, <laughs> we've got to, you know, there might be some issues that came out of it, we have to thank God for that, that he used someone to open up our blind spots. I, it's challenging. A lot of the guys that we that we really like to talk about these type of things own slaves. That's tough. What do we do with that? Do we discard everything they had to say? How do we understand them as men of their times? That That's a challenge. And there will be people over here who will never dare read one of those guys. They won't read from Edwards. He owns slaves. Why would I listen to a slave master? Right? There's something in the heart of that that we have to really take seriously. And I'm not saying it's going to be easy, but it's challenging. I think another issue that I thought of was, you know, the Me Too movement. There's a lot you can poke fun at. You can have concern for balances. But I think as far as just sexual impropriety in the church, we haven't dealt with that. We haven't understood, um, you know, the psychology of the sexual predator. There is, th- this side will be more skeptical of knowledge outside the scriptures, where this side will say more, you know, all truth is God's truth. Let's... Let's learn from psychologists. Let's learn from other fields. Um, and of course, that can obviously go too far. And so this side's a little skeptical of that. I want to stick with the scriptures. I want to stick with my historical confessions. But on something like sexual predation, is there something we can learn that maybe we've learned over the years and we need to be a lot more careful? We don't want to misapply 1 Corinthians 6. It says, you know, let's not take our issues to the court in front of the unbelievers. That's done a lot of damage. These are tough issues. Tough, tough issues. Here's some sample questions I want to get to throughout the course. Is it enough to abstain from injustice, or do we need to actively work for justice? Certainly, no one's going to disagree. In my dealings, I need to use equal measures, right? I need to give someone what they paid for. I need to be just in my dealings. But do I go out of my comfort zone? Do I get out of my housing association and go work for justice to the neighborhood or to the city around me? How concerned should we be if the government takes on caring 
for the poor more than the church? Should caring for the poor be a church issue? Or should we leave it to the state? Would Las Vegas even know if we shut our doors as a church? Is that a fair question? Or is that not a fair question? This is one I've been asking myself. Can I, can I apply my view of social justice or a certain issue, say income inequality? Can I view that in the same way maybe I think the church missed it on slavery? There were many who said slavery is a political issue. Church, stay out of it. I don't, I don't know where you stand. I'm sure we have different views, but that's a little jotting to me. That's, that's, that's tough to take. So there might be an issue that I don't really care about or I think is easily out of the bounds, but I'm trying to force myself to think, well, wait a minute. Let's give this some consideration. Maybe in a different light. When is a preacher too political? When is he not political enough? Who are we willing to work with on social justice issues? Certainly we would have some limitations on who we would go evangelize with, right? Would social justice be the same group or would be willing to work with other denominations? with liberal churches, with the world, right? Do we go fight abortion with people who are against abortion? Mormons are against abortion. Would we go fight it with them? We'll have Christians who will disagree on that. Do we want to be explicitly Christian in our arguments, say, against abortion? Or are we going to use more natural law type of arguments? Would we use a social justice issue as a platform for evangelism? And we would never dare do social justice unless we have the chance to share the gospel. Very much different how much, and really, in this continuum, it's really more of a, of an issue of priorities and emphasis. You know, how much, how much focus and how many resources, how much time is spent over here before we've gone too far and we've lost it? Or how much are we defending, defending, defending to where we're doing nothing? And we're not loving our neighbor at all? Galatians 6.10 is a great verse. As we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those of the household of faith. So there's clearly an emphasis, a priority to take care of our own as a church. Clearly, especially to those households of faith. And yet we're still to do good to everyone. So what does that mean? We talked to the deacons a few months ago about how do you make the decision? You have this pot of money. You have people within the church with needs. You have people who come in without. How do you decide? I don't want that responsibility. Thank you all to others who do that. You know, how much do you, how much, what does that mean to especially the household of faith? Here's some questions we can get into. How reflective of a church, how, how reflective of the socioeconomics, the racial makeup of the neighborhood around us at our new property should we think Spring Meadows should, like, should Spring Meadows look like that area, that zip code? Is that a valid goal? Should the eldership in our church reflect the racial, socioeconomic makeup of, of the congregation? Or are those categories we shouldn't even be go, going down? Should, should we even ask that question? These questions are being asked. All right, we're definitely going to skip. Next week we'll get into divine justice, personal, individual, daily justice that we might be in, and then start to go into the question of social justice. What does that mean? What does the Bible say about it? I do want to quickly get to this. There's a, there's a famous picture out there. I should have printed them out. But basically you got three kids standing trying to look at a baseball game over this fence. It's brown people and a red fence for some reason. I don't know. That's what I did. So we have a we have a disparity, right? Only one of the kids can see over the fence to see the baseball game. How do we correct this? And this kind of goes into what is justice. The the two main synonyms I would use is what is right. We'll talk about that more next week. And what is fair? Well, what does fair mean? A lot of times we say the word equal. My kids have learned from the time they could hear 
Equal is not fair. Right? Those are not, those are two different concepts. But it's not so easy as that. So how do you correct this situation? Say we, we want to correct it. Alright, so we've got these three crates. Right? So, now I'm going to lift all these guys up. I'm sure it's not to scale. Right? So I've given them all something. I've given them some help and it's been equal, right? The same crate I've given all three. And now two of my guys can stand over. One of them is way above where he needs to be. He didn't need any help. But I wanted to be equal. I wanted to be fair. Right? And so this is the result. That's supposed to go above him. <laughs> my drawing is atrocious. Mark, you're supposed to help me here. I missed that one. Or should we give them what they need? Right? Let's give this guy one. This guy doesn't need any. We've got a... Where's our red fence here? And now, right, they all get to enjoy the baseball game. They were given exactly what they needed. So this is called equality of opportunity, equality of outcome. And I'm sure we could all think of ways in which this makes sense and other times that this makes sense, right? You know, on an exam, are you going to grade people differently based on their background, based on how it's going at home? The SATs are considering adding an adversity score to your SAT. All right, you've done the test. This is exactly what we got on the test. And based on your zip code, literally just based on your zip code, we're going to add this score to you. And that's how you're going to compete nationally. You, you can hear the, you can, you can see the discussion already happening, right? Affirmative action, right? Affirmative action. We're going to set quotas. Because we want, we want to look at people in a racial category. And we want to get so many whites, so many Asians, so many blacks, right? And we're going to do what it takes in our scoring to get there. Um, this analogy fell at home, so let's see if it works here. It's always a chance, right? What about if you go to McDonald's and you, it doesn't matter if I'm going to buy something or uh, Gemma's going to buy something, right? We're going to give $2 and we're going to get whatever the number of hamburgers that means, right? It doesn't matter. $2 means two hamburgers, whatever. Well, if you're at home sitting at your dinner table and you've got a five-year-old, a 10-year-old, a 15-year-old and your grandparents sitting there, do you give everybody the same portion because it's equal, right? No. This it, More on this side, well, I'm going to give you what you need, right? The fair and right thing to do is to give you what, you know, the amount of food that makes sense. I mean, this stuff is debated and discussed in, in learning, um, in the job market, and when it comes to social justice, though, people, some people think it should be this. We should just have equal measures and skills, same opportunity. Um, everyone's afforded the chance for, uh, you know, an attorney if they go to. And then other people say, no, we need to give, we need to help those who have started. Particularly if they're where they're at because of not their own, it's not their own fault, right? There's always going to be that mix, too. There's going to be people who are in a bad situation because of their own fault, their own decision-making. Well, how much do you factor that into your decision? What if it's not their own fault, right? What if, what if someone's born disabled? Are we going to make special ramps and spend extra money and make a business spend money to care for someone or not? And you can see those kind of disagreements. And then we have to think about what, what about one action of solving one injustice hurts another? I mean, affirmative action is a great, a great example of that. You can see the desire, right? Someone didn't have the best education because of 
ancestral issues that you know happened years ago. From slavery, 150 years ago, they're still in certain zip codes. They don't get the chance to have education. Let's help them along. And yet, at the moment of execution, the person who has higher scores, more qualified, is going to feel unjust because they don't get the job, right? So you can, you can completely see the discussion and see why we don't always come to a good conclusion on these things. I guess what I want to challenge us to is understand justice, to be for justice, and we're going to kind of see where it comes out on specific policies and specific issues. All right. I don't know where I'm stopping in the notes, but I obviously have to stop. Um, so think about these things. Please come. If there's a specific issue, question you want me to address in our 11 weeks, come let me know. Um, we will have lots of chance to discuss. The way I frame things, I'm sure there's some disagreement here. Um, and that's okay, right? This is an issue you can have a lot of freedom on. But it's a challenging issue. It's not easy. I don't really know how to organize this. I'm going to do my best. We're going to go for it. And probably, you know, I think we should have done it differently. So, Dave, would you pray for us? Lord, thank you for you. Thank you that you have raised up folks in this church to teach and to proclaim your truth. Thank you that we can have this discussion as brothers and sisters and that we can do it lovingly that we can do it uh, faithfully, and that uh, more importantly, that we can do it to your Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.